you are going to see things that you've only dreamed of. I mean, to think, if I could talk to little Brian, you know, and tell him, you're going to go to Antarctica and a leopard seal is going to bite your zodiac or a whale is going to breach just feet away from you and you're going to see the most magnificent mountains, glaciers, volcanoes, uh, you're, I, I never would have believed it as a kid. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Brian Bailey today. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Joe? Really good. Really good. Where in the world are you today? Well, let me look outside. I'm not real sure. Oh, it's just the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, We're almost to Tenerife, Canary Islands. And, uh, you know, we've been stuck at sea. Let's see. This is day 44 for me, uh, stuck at sea. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> what's uh what's morale like on the ship? Actually pretty good. Uh well, but but it's my job to keep the morale up. Um so I'm the cruise director for the Silver Cloud. And uh so it was my job to keep the guests entertained, but my job switched to keeping the crew entertained and keeping the morale up. And uh we've done everything from uh, some sort of uh, Olympics uh, fun games, uh, which departments compete against each other, and we've all, all uh, we've also made a music video, and uh, so we're we're you know we're keeping up uh, with uh, you know with the morale here. Just the idea of having an Olympics on a cruise ship sounds like a blast <laughs> with the different departments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like engine versus deck. Uh, you know, entertainment versus the expedition team, all that sort of thing. And uh, they're they're kind of goofy races, but uh, uh, it ended up, oh, the housekeeping team won, just uh, to put that out there. Uh, Good job to all the uh, housekeepers and the butlers here on board. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) You talked about your job duties you're now it is you know, keeping the crew the crew happy keeping them informed and getting all the events yeah. together what uh what's a the normal sort of job description for for you well th- so this is an expedition vessel so it's different than a pleasure cruise that you would have on a normal cruise line um our ship is very much a science based um we go to the most remote locations on the planet, my entire season this past uh, this past season that I was just on was Antarctica, and uh, whenever the whenever uh, this became a pandemic, we were on a cruise that took us to the sub Antarctic islands in the South Atlantic. So, from the Falklands to South Georgia, which if you ever get a chance to go to South Georgia, you absolutely must, and then also Tristan da Cunha, Gulf Island, and Nightingale Island. 
uh, and then we were supposed to end in Cape Town, South Africa. So during those times, so I provide little entertainments. It's only me, a guitarist, and also a pianist. And that's it. I will do a one-man show about my life. That's just on one night, but most of the time it's doing trivias and and having uh, hosting parties. But also I uh, do lectures um, because I am part of the, uh, you know, uh, an expedition team that, you know, they'll give lectures on uh, ornithology, uh, especially on the penguins that we encountered. Uh, We have marine biologists and geologists. And then uh, on board, I did the paleontology. Uh, So I gave lectures on uh, the different dinosaur species uh, found um, basically an entire history of the uh, Mesozoic era uh, for the guests as well. That sounds like a full schedule. It, it, yeah, it was. It was very busy. <laughs> and, and you don't get any days off when you're on a ship. So, uh, you know, you really have to pace yourself. You know, I thought I was getting off. My contract was supposed to end several weeks ago, almost five weeks ago now. And, uh, but I'm still here and, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's been an interesting, uh, cruise for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting time for everybody, but being, being out on the water, I'm sure makes it all the more wild. There's, there's good and bad to this bad. We're away from our families, especially a lot of these crew have, you know, young children at home, Uh, you know, they're sending money home to their families. That's the tough part. The good part is that we are all uh, safe. This is a completely virus-free area. We don't have to social distance. We can shake hands. We can hug. You know, we can kiss each other on the cheek. You know, we're allowed to do that here because we're not, we are in a safe bubble. So, but someday that bubble will pop. Yeah, that, that's uh, interesting because since you don't have cases, it's, because for everybody else in the world, pretty much, it's like there's so many different right. rules and restrictions and you're not allowed to do any of that. Well, exactly. And, and you know, we should have been able to repatriate a while ago. But the South African government refused to let the crew off. I mean, they let the guests off, but they wouldn't let the crew off. The, the way that several governments around the world have treated seafarers has been absolutely despicable. Um, you know, it, we're not these disease infested vermin that are here to go in and, and spread the virus. That's just not what's happening. The vast majority of cruise ships do not have the virus. Uh, and, and the ones that do should have been let in to get medical care. They just let it out. They just kept them out and out at sea to fester. And, and, uh, and it just made things so much worse. So, you know, really shame on them for treating us the way that they have. Yeah. And to see it on like social media, I mean, people are saying because you guys fly certain flags and evade taxes. And it's like, that's not, that's not even close to the whole picture because there are a lot of cruise lines no. that fly from their, their home country. And so it's, yep. it's just a full, like everything on social media, it's a full complex picture. And if you're only looking at the headlines, you're only getting a small percentage. Exactly. You know, I've seen people praise the fall of the cruise industry and all this sort of thing. And, and it's just really, really, a, um, 
maddening to see because just like anything these days with social media, they just spread such massive amounts of misinformation. And we have political people back in the States too that are spreading just terrible misinformation. It's not a, the reason why so many countries don't flag their ships in the United States is because the United States has made it almost impossible to flag your ship there. You know, it's just, they need to change some laws anyway uh, when it comes to shipping. I mean, the whole situation too with Hurricane Maria when it came to the Jones Act just to get uh, supplies there. Uh, you, you know, that had it, that was more with the um, cargo industry. But, you know, we have similar issues with the cruise industry when it comes to some of these just uh, laws that are so not needed and make it difficult for cruise companies to flag ships in the United States. Yeah, with a lot of those, like the Jones Act specifically, because I, I spend a lot of time in Ketchikan, I can see yeah. why they put it in place in the first place, but there's been so many problems with it that were unintended. Right. That I think it either needs changed it, quite drastically or getting rid of. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's that whole like American port to American port. Uh, if you If you go from, let's say, Seattle to Alaska, 75% of the workforce needs to be American. Now that might sound good on paper. However, we don't, we're not known for our maritime workers. We just don't, I mean, the, the vast majority of maritime workers come from places that have a lot of maritime academies. We have just a few, but like, you know, India and, and um, Indonesia and Philippines, I would say comprise the majority of crew in the cruising industry. Let me kind of switch gears and ask you this. In your, okay. your last contract, what was your favorite day? Kind of go through the step-by-step, sort of to show your <laughs> schedule, but also what you do either on land or on a sea day, whichever one you choose. Okay. Best day from this last contract would have to be St. Andrews Bay in South Georgia with 200,000 king penguins uh with their fledglings and um just these creches of 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 young birds so they're 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 so interested in you and they because they don't i guess they just have no fear of humans so they they come up to you and they'll peck at your camera and you're i mean these these are big birds uh they're just so beautiful and to see that many of them, and with that landscape, the mountains and the glaciers, it just, I was standing there and just tears were coming down my face of just um, the amount of beauty I was seeing in one place in just that eyesight. So uh, from this last, it had to be St. Andrews Bay, South Georgia, for sure. So 200,000, that is a ton of penguins. Like, are they just lying yeah. on the beach or like a rocky area? Oh, so it starts from the beach, goes all the way to the base of the mountain. I mean, it's just huge. I, and I, was it, yeah, it was 200,000. Yeah, 200,000 birds. Just unbelievable. Maybe even 250,000. Because I didn't, I'm not even thinking about the chicks in that count. So, and each pair would have a chick, possibly two, but mostly one. It just, and, and the noise and also the smell. My God, they stink. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And so how, how tall are they? How, how far up do they come on you? Uh, so they, uh, the biggest ones would come up to about my, 
Mm, tallest ones came up to about my thigh. So I would say almost three feet. So uh, oh, that wow. would be, they're, they're still shorter than the emperor, but not by, you know, not a terrible amount. Like, uh, how, what did your morning look like when you were still on the ship and what was, were you taking people out or were you just part of, did you go along with them? When guests were here, my typical day would be, I, I didn't really start early in the morning because I would work late in the evening, uh, in our, uh, bars, uh, providing entertainment. So I didn't really, uh, wake up too early, <laughs> which I really enjoy cause I am not a morning person. However, uh, a lot of times, if we were in a very in, uh, interesting um, uh, landing site in Antarctica, I would usually, especially if it was new to me, because I've now been to Antarctica several times, um, but if it was new to me or if I heard on the radio that we uh, had a great leopard seal spotting or um, uh, the killer whales were hunting, uh, then I would definitely get up. I would keep my radio on next to my bed. Uh, just to hear uh, what our team was saying. And so I would get up and get out and do that. But then by the time the, the Zodiacs were coming back in, I was there to uh, provide some sort of entertainment, uh, perhaps a trivia, bingo, who knows. And then uh, I would be in charge of the side gate in the afternoon for that afternoon's landing. So uh, the side gate, we open up these doors on the sides of the ship we bring our Zodiacs, which we have a crane, and we, we lower the Zodiacs into the water. And uh, we put, you know, eight to ten guests in each Zodiac and go to the landing site that we have found for the day. Uh, now, in Antarctica, there's very specific landing sites. So IAUTO has given us restrictions on, on how to, you know, where we can land and where the restricted areas are when we are in the landing site. So uh, my job is to get those people on and off safely. Um, and just to control that operation. And then whenever it was the last Zodiac, then I would go ashore um, with the rest of the guests as well, take a look at the chin strap penguins or the, the rock hoppers or whatever we were seeing that day, and uh, then go back to the ship, have dinner, and then entertain the rest of the evening. And how many people, how many guests are usually on the cruise ship? Oh, we have a pretty small ship. So this one's just about... Uh, I'd say it was an average of 220. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm used yeah. to the, the bigger ones. We definitely saw the silver seas, uh, ships a few times, but the, the yeah. idea of a cruise ship and my, I mean, like you said, it's an exploration ship more than that, but the idea of a cruise ship yeah. for me is much bigger than that. Oh, exactly. I mean, I worked on the Disney dream, which was 4,500 guests. Yeah. That's a big one. And I, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I come from a town of 1,700 people. So, uh, <laughs> there's more people on those ships than in my hometown. <laughs> so yeah. How, so now you're, you're traveling the world, you're, you know, in charge of guests in charge of crew members and, you know, you're leading people and you have a, it sounds like a very, uh, varied knowledge base and you know you're instructing or lecturing on all these different things how did mm -hmm. how did sort of the idea of this um this life begin well as my dad would tell you it started when i was probably uh four or five years old he had a subscription to national geographic and that became my favorite magazine at first it was just to look at all the neat people and and then all of the uh, animals. 
But then as I got a little bit older, I started pulling out the maps and studying the maps in my room, in my bedroom when I was a kid and clear up through high school. It was not uh, any famous people on my wall or some movie poster or anything like that. Completely surrounding my room were maps of the world. So I was born with wanderlust in my genes uh, somehow because my parents were not travelers. Uh, they barely got out of Ohio. The first time they came out of the country was because I took them. The, fir the first time they went to Alaska, it's because I took them along with me on my ship. So, uh, you know, I don't know how I was so different, but I had to see the world. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And as soon as I was able to, uh, I traveled and that was getting a scholarship to go study abroad in college. Uh, while I was, I studied at Northern Kentucky University School of the Arts and got my uh, bachelor's in fine arts for musical theater. And I was able to study theater in London, uh, you know, in college. But as soon as I graduated, I, my very first job was Disney Cruise Line as a singer and dancer. I did not play any prints, unfortunately. I got to play Quasimodo. <laughs> as my mom always said, I had a face <laughs> for radio. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, I got to play those great uh, roles. Um, and then I went to New York City and uh, booked two national tours, which were ended up being also international tours. I was on the national tour of Cats. And so that was really, um, it, it took me to Colombia, Venezuela, Costa Rica, Panama, because they sent us as sort of an arts ambassadorship, first Broadway show to visit those countries. So that was a really uh, incredible to play the National Theater in Caracas, Venezuela, right as Hugo Chavez is taking power. Uh, you know, it's a, that, that's, you know, it was a, a very interesting time to be in Venezuela and especially to perform a Broadway show. Uh, but then after that, it was, uh, I went back out to sea, went back to Disney Cruise Line because uh, I really couldn't afford New York anymore, to be honest with you. I mean, it just got to be so ridiculously expensive. So I went back out to sea and I've been at sea ever since. So um, probably six years now since I left New York City and been working at sea. And what do you what do you do in your when you're not on contract now? Um, oh, when I go home, or yeah. <laughs> honestly, a lot of times I travel. <laughs> so it's like I travel for a living, and then I travel when I'm home. Uh, but friend, my last. Uh, what I was supposed to be doing when I got off in Cape Town is that I had a 20 night camping trip planned throughout Southern Africa. So I was going to South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, and Zambia and camping through all of it. Um, you know, for my birthday, I was supposed to be in um, Itasha National Park looking at the elephants. And uh, instead, of course, um, I, I was here on the ship. Ended up still having a great birthday with these wonderful crew members here. But, you know, it breaks my heart. Africa was, this trip was something I had dreamed of for such a long time. And, you know, I ended up losing probably $3,000 as well, uh, you know, that I'm never going to get back. And I, I just, you know, I think going back to Africa will be my top priority. But yeah, I'm very sad about it. Yeah, that the trip... Like here in Namibia, I've always wanted to go to Namibia. And so like when you listed off that trip, I, I'm like, oh, I want to hear all about it. I want to hear all about it. And then 
Yeah. yeah. So when, uh, when is your birthday? Uh, it was April 3rd. Okay. Mine's March 28th. Yeah. Figured it was close. Oh, okay. From the way you described yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Well, happy birthday. See, I thank you. Happy birthday to you. And I think a lot of Aries people are travelers, uh, for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree we, with that. In our crew, in our crew, we have, we have, uh, only 200 crew and 26 of us have a birthday in April. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so that's why I think, uh, travelers are born in this time period. <laughs> yeah. Disproportionately. We are more travelers. It's that, it's that fire we got going. We gotta... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me ask you this. When you're traveling to central and South America, with the international show on like a daily or like a, a wider view angle, how does that look different than when you're traveling other than just the job, but when you're traveling more for leisure? Well, traveling there during that time was very much, um, I probably wouldn't have chosen Venezuela for leisure these days anyway, but um, there we had to be protected. We had armed guards with us at all time. Uh, which I would not have if I was traveling on my own and then crossing into the countries because you're there working uh, was different. You know, we had to have visas uh, and all that sort of thing. If I was going there as a tourist, I wouldn't need any of that. So I, uh, at least with our American passport, you know, we're very lucky to have our, our nation's passport in order to be able to travel pretty easily. Um, but if you're working, that's a whole nother uh, rule system. So. Uh, yeah, so we uh, had to have visas to work there in Venezuela and Colombia uh, to perform there. Uh, you're also meeting a lot of uh, dignitaries and uh, you know, you know, performed for the president of Colombia and the president of, of um, uh, Costa Rica. You know, you, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance when you're there in that capacity, whereas you know. If I was going in as a tourist, I'd be completely under the radar. So that, oh, I ended up being on E-Latina News one night because I was uh, at the opening night party of Cats in Caracas. I was photographed uh, <laughs> making out with this model. Oh, my goodness. It was a big scandal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you bring up a good point. I, I've gotten asked a ton of times, like, what? What do you need to travel? What is like the things that you need to do beforehand and prepare? Mm. And what I tell everyone that asks me that's American is you already have the most important piece. You won the lottery when yeah. it comes to traveling. You have the golden ticket. You have the United States passport. And it just seems like they take it for granted. But then my friends from yeah. other countries, not so much EU countries, but some of the more third world ones, it's like not having that passport makes everything so much more expensive and so different. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, we are, people need to realize how lucky we are to have the American passport. We have somehow cut a deal with everyone in the world, pretty much, you know, well, a few places we can't, but, but we can walk right in. Or we can get a, a visa same day. We just like if I was to go if I was to go on this trip to Namibia, all I would have to do is go to the border and pay fifty bucks 
and then they put the visa in my passport. They, but that's not the same with every other country. If you were to travel to Namibia, uh, you know, we always have a lot of trouble uh, with, let's say, when we're doing a, um, a, a the Alaskan season. My a lot of times our South African friends have to either delay or cancel their entire um, contract because it's so difficult to get the visa to enter Canada because usually the you know they start in Vancouver. So. Uh, but as an American, I don't even have to think about it. It's, it's, it's very uh, uneven throughout the world when it comes to, um, to, to these uh, passports and visas. Yeah, and it also, it doesn't sound like it makes a whole ton of sense that South Africans would have trouble getting into Canada. Now, I, here's the thing. I don't need, uh, I don't need uh, anything to enter except for my passport to enter South Africa. But South Africans need more documentation in order to visit the United States. It's not equal. Yeah, it's some of it is it's just totally wild. But that's that's what happens when yeah. you draw invisible lines and give some you know more things than the other. I guess exactly. I think you know in the <laughs> probably very distant future, I think we'll see some of those lines disappear, and you know I don't know. We'll see. I will tell you, I think we're getting close to Tenerife because I've seen birds out my window. And let me tell you, I haven't seen birds in days. So <laughs> I've come out onto my veranda to look. What, what were those birds? Boobies? The mass booby? Yeah, and then there were dolphins as well. I saw. So we got very excited. I had to look out. <laughs> I bet. Well, and today was the first whale I've seen since, uh, well, there was a right whale right in front of Cape Town. So we were anchored in Cape Town Harbor, uh, and they wouldn't let us in for two days. But there was a right whale in between us and right next to the city, just slapping its tail over, doing fluke slaps over and over and over again. It was such a thrill. And it uh, made that waiting process uh, much easier. And I got to see pilot whales, which you hardly ever see pilot whales. It's, it, you know, that's the one thing about the sea. There's so much out there to see. And, but whenever you're in the middle, because we had to stay way out in the middle of the Atlantic because we needed to also avoid piracy. So the West Coast of Africa, right now, the piracy is worse in the east coast so like if you're in the bay of guinea or something like that you would be really risking the ship especially if they knew what the ships are going through right now and they don't have passengers on board and only crew so we had to stay way out uh, into the middle of the atlantic on our way north that's wild to think about the piracy aspect of the covid virus right right and you you know we would have to um if we had were closer to the coast we would have to have um you know, blacked out all the lights, all that sort of thing, which, you know, we go through drills and, 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 and here's the crazy thing about life at sea too, is that yes, we are these crew members that either do entertainment or uh, give lectures on the penguins, but we are also the firefighters, the police and the EMTs. Cause you don't, you can't call 911. Everyone has to be trained in, in a lot of those aspects. 
uh, you know, we have to be first responders uh, to be to work at sea. Yeah, yeah, and for you know, sometimes days at a time, you're the only responders. Yeah, yeah. So we go through all kinds of drills and training um, every week. You know, we'll practice man overboard training. Um, we'll practice uh, the the most common drill that we do is always fire. Um, so you know, the entire fire squad and and then what I do, I go up to the bridge and I I command everything over the intercoms. Since I'm the American, you know, you know I speak uh, in maritime world. Uh, the 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 language uh, that is used most commonly is English. So they usually hire an American or an English uh, a national into this position uh, because it's our first language. So uh, that's often why you'll see American or English cruise directors or Australians as well. Yeah. Tell me, you mentioned your your show that you do in the evening sort of goes through your life story. Can you can you describe like mm-hmm. what it looks like and go through a little bit of it? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just do this one man show where I talk about being born in Peebles, Ohio, uh, on a farm. I you know I was a swine and cattle farm uh, kid, and uh, you know I took swine to the fair and. And all that sort of thing. And then I go through my life um, with the very first song I ever sang in public, which was John Michael Montgomery's Grundy County Auction. Uh, and then I, yeah. <laughs> and then I just go through uh, what high school was like for me, which of course, so I'm, I, uh, so I'm gay and being LGBT in high school and especially in the closet, I was bullied quite a bit as most uh, LGBT uh, people are, but uh, I was actually not as bad as others, but I still had quite a bit. And I talk about my first boyfriend, which was in high school and then going into college and, and uh, what that experience was like, especially my very, I come from a very conservative place and conservative family. And uh, I was a church kid. And then my very first show is called Man of La Mancha. And I have to do this rape scene. I mean, <laughs> and in that first scene that I'm in where I, oh my gosh, uh, and in the audience was my mom, my grandmother, and my pastor. So that was uh, <laughs> a little difficult. Uh, and then I go through uh, all the different shows that I was in. And then on Broadway, what I did there as well in New York City, I was in uh, at Madison Square Garden, I performed in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, also, of course, I talk about cats, which I've already talked about. But uh, also, I worked with Brooke Shields uh, and Roger Reese and the Adams Family on Broadway. I was in the. Uh, I also do costuming, so I worked on the costumes for that show. I was in the puppetry department for The Lion King, and then also um, Porgy and Bess with Audra McDonald, who's just the queen of Broadway. Uh, I, w- I was uh, worked on. The- on the uh, costumes for that show as well. And then I, I talk about uh, kind of my, I was having panic attacks and, and anxiety and, and depression really bad uh, about 2012 ish. And I decided to uh, in 2013 leave New York and it ended up being that I just needed some medication. Something was off. I couldn't figure it out and, and found out it was hereditary that my dad was taking medication for it. My grandma, both of my grandmothers were, it was just like a constant, this anxiety I couldn't control. 
So I just talk about that change in my life, leaving New York uh, and then fixing that and then and then going back out to sea, which you know about. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. And you said you performed the Grundy County auction at the beginning. Oh, yeah, that's the very first song I, I sang sold. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds like such a great story, especially if, you know, you're a guest and you've been out exploring you know, this amazing place and all these different animals. And then to get to hear such a, such a cool life story with music. Uh, well, yeah, I use, so it's all musical theater besides Granny County Auction. So I do a song from the shows I actually was in or, or, you know, was in, in some way, shape or form. So, uh, you know, it, it, I, I guess my life's interesting I, to me. It's just my life, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people appreciated it and yeah, it, it ends kind of on a low note a little bit in that it, I've, my dating life is just non-existent because I work on ships, um, and there's just very few people to date, you know, in the crew. I mean, especially my ship, there's only 200 of us. Uh, I'm the only out person on the ship. And, uh, and then I go home and I live in rural Appalachia. So there isn't anyone to choose there really either. Uh, you know, although apparently people in rural areas can be very successful as, the, as I've learned from the Tiger King. I mean, that man has two husbands and I can't even get a second date. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know sort of the Appalachia side, but I, even the the cruise ship side, I mean, you're under such a microscope as well, especially even more so as the cruise director mm. that I'm sure it makes it even more. It, impossible. it is. And I think, uh, I think it kind of, I'm such an extroverted person that it, it can also, it's good for the position, but I think it scares people away from, from uh, getting close to me in a way. Cause I'm just, I'm kind of big when it comes to my personality. So, uh, you know, so if you're a closeted person um, from a country that doesn't accept this, you're probably not going to go to the loudest person in the room. Right. And suddenly be the, you know, the center of the gossip mill on the ship. Yeah, exactly. And it would not be helped. I mean, one, you would take one chance of someone leaving my room and it could really harm them back home. I mean, it really, if the rumors went back home in some of these uh, countries, it would just not be, it would not be good. Yeah, that's definitely an aspect of cruise ship life that doesn't get talked about, I don't think. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of them are still from very homophobic countries and countries that are very dangerous for LGBT folk. Um, they come here, they're able to be themselves, but at home, they're in the closet. Or, I mean, honestly, sometimes married with children, that sort of thing, because even arranged marriages and that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's not easy for all of them. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, another set of those invisible lines that hopefully we get rid of in the near future. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So do you... You sort of evangelize for the the cruise ship or the seasonal lifestyle at all? Do you do you try to get friends to jump into it, or you know what do you what do you usually say, or how do you describe the the lifestyle? Well, uh, 
I, I can't imagine sitting at home at a desk. And if you are a person that is not enjoying sitting home at a desk, it's okay to jump into this business. I give you complete permission to do so because you are going to see things that you've only dreamed of. I mean, to think if I could talk to little Brian, you know, and tell him, you're going to go to Antarctica and a leopard seal is going to bite your zodiac or a whale is going to breach just feet away from you. And you're going to see the most magnificent mountains, glaciers, volcanoes. Uh, you're, I, I never would have believed it as a kid. But it is absolutely possible. And there's, I hope this industry bounces back because people need to see the world. If we're all going to be stuck, I don't know. I just hope this ends at some point because I want you all to see this. I want everyone to see this. It's just, we have such a beautiful world. It's worth exploring. Yeah, that is, that's an idea that I've talked about with different like whitewater rafting guides is that they are facilitating people to see an area or, you know, a part of the country or something that they normally wouldn't have access to. And that's what you're right. doing also is you are facilitating people to travel to all these different places and see all these different things. And also as doing the lectures and all that, you're informing them as mm. to what they are going to see or have seen as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the beauty of an expedition vessel. If, if you want to see <laughs> places that, you know, I didn't even know about Nightingale and Gulf Island, never heard of them. Uh, Tristan de Cunha, yeah, I had heard of, but, uh, you know, there are birds that only exist there. Uh, you know, they're so extremely rare and I, I don't know, like if you, if you want to see things that very a few percentage of other humans have seen, uh, you sh you've got to come on an expedition cruise. Yeah, it's a great way to see things and explore the world. And like you said, it, people do need it. And I, I hope it does yeah. bounce back. And I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. It's just I, I ponder how long I'm going to be out of a job. Right. And, and um, right now, like. yeah, tomorrow is my last day, um, to be paid after that. I live on the ship as a hotel and thank God this company has allowed that to take care of us, uh, you know, provide food, water, uh, and, uh, free internet and a bed until we're able to go home. You know, uh, they're not just going to leave us stranded. And uh, thank God for that. So I do have a place to live um, until I'm able to come home. And I just don't know when that's going to be. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the episode. It was great to talk to you. And like I said, I learned a ton today. So thank you for that. Well, you're absolutely welcome. And I'll, I, I would love to come back anytime. It's been a real joy talking to you. Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Shappy, Thomas Hamilton. Tommy.
Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Yeah. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.